0: in preparation for Susie to open the scriptures, let's um, read the scripture. I will read it. You can read along from the screen. John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: agree with this statement. God wants you to change the world. We're in this series called Living is Giving, and in this series we're talking about serving, placing the needs of others ahead of our own. We're talking about volunteering. We're talking about living with an other-oriented posture in life. And last week uh, we just talked about if my every inhale of breath is a gift from God, then isn't it just right and good that my every exhale would be offered to him as a gift back? If my every inhale is a gift from him, shouldn't my every exhale be a gift back to him? And we talked about how we are most fulfilled when we say in any relationship or set of circumstances, when we say not, what can I get out of this, but rather, what can I give to this. And as followers of God in the way of Jesus, we look to the life of Jesus. For our example, we see that he washed others' feet and told us to do the same. This is our mandate. This is our mission to live as people who give, to spread the ridiculous love of God wherever we are. But here's what tends to happen we start out knowing Christ, wanting to live in an other-oriented posture in life. We begin serving. We begin volunteering. And pretty soon, if you're anything like me, most of us, we start asking a question that goes like this. Is this thing I'm doing effective? Does it make a difference? Is it changing the world Am I having an impact? Usually, we start out serving, following in Jesus' example of washing others' feet, serving, living a life of service. But pretty soon, we start to ask these questions about effectiveness. Now, there's nothing wrong with effectiveness. Effectiveness is defined this way the degree to which something is successful in producing a desired result. Success the definition of effectiveness. Nothing wrong with caring about results, nothing wrong with asking strategic questions about the impact being made, but when it comes to serving, it is not first and foremost about effectiveness, but rather about Jesus' call to do so. In other words, we don't first and foremost serve because we're seeing success. But we live in a world where there is just a tsunami of messages that would say if something is not effective, successful, showing you the visible results you want to see, then something is wrong that you are not doing the right thing or that your worth is in question or the work that you're doing is in question. But when it comes to serving, questions of effectiveness, they're not wrong, they're just not primary. It's kind of like we talked about a few weeks back when we talked about ambition in life. If your life is like a car. You want ambition in the car of your life. Nothing wrong with ambition. You just don't want ambition at the wheel of your life, driving the car. You want it in the back seat. Same with fear. Fear can be a good thing. A healthy amount of fear protects you, protects you from, you know, a bear in the woods or something. So fear is not a bad thing in your life. You just don't want fear driving the car of your life. Effectiveness, when it comes to serving, giving volunteering. Effectiveness questions are not wrong. You just don't want them driving the car. Charles Spurgeon said this, there are no measures which can set forth the immeasurable greatness of Jehovah. If we cannot measure, we can marvel. To illustrate this, I want to share an example of something I read in Sky Jathani's recent book called Immeasurable, and just to get us thinking about this. So he sets up this example. Consider Leader A. Leader A. And let's just compare these two leaders. Leader A lifted an entire nation in a time of despair. He mobilized his people against unimaginable odds with a clear vision, inspiring passion. He launched a movement that has impacted literally everyone alive today. He set in motion an industrial and scientific revolution that produced the first computer, the first jet airplane, began human exploration of space, unlocked the mystery of nuclear energy, almost every aspect of the modern world has, in one way or another, been influenced by this man. By the time he died at the age of only 56, everyone on the planet knew his name. Without a doubt, Leader A changed the world. Now consider Leader B. Leader B lived during the same era as Leader A, in fact he died just 21 days before Leader A, but his life was very different. At the height of his influence, Leader B ran a school with just 100 students in it. He wrote a few books, but was not widely regarded. He was beloved by his family and his friends, and he had a reputation for being both intelligent and faithful. But at the time of his death, nobody knew his name, and most considered his life's work unfulfilled, including Leader B himself. Okay, so given the choice, which leader's strategies would you rather study? Which man's life would you rather emulate? Which leadership conference would you rather go to? The one featuring leader A as the keynote speaker, or the one featuring leader B like in a back hallway little breakout workshop? If you are inspired by the world-changing effectiveness of leader A, congratulations, that is Adolf Hitler. Leader B is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was executed by the Nazis for his relentless opposition to Hitler. So here's the point of all that. Effectiveness is not everything. Effectiveness is not everything, and yet, we remain so enamored with it. A few years ago, there was a prominent Christian leader who was speaking to like 60,000 young people and said this, the only thing I'm afraid of is living an insignificant life. Hmm. A lot of us feel that way. Many of us can relate to that fear. The problem is we've been shaped by a culture that connects significance with effectiveness. We're just bombarded with all of these messages that say our significance is proportional to our effectiveness. Like, our significance is somehow caught up in how much we all change the world. So people who actually become like historical world changers, we have a name for them, celebrities. And everybody else is condemned to, like, a death by obscurity. Nothing worse than obscurity. But where did we get this idea that everyone ought to change the world? Where did that come from? In the last 15 years, five times as many books have been written with some version in the title of Change the World, five times as many books in the last 15 years as in the entire 20th century. We live in a culture that just equates effectiveness with significance. And when that idea is carried into our Christian faith, when that idea is carried into our call to serve, we come to believe that our value to God is rooted in how much we achieve. We might say, oh, you know, I'm doing it all for God's glory, but there can be a subtle shadow mission to the motive of service and giving. The idol of effectiveness, when you think about an idol, it's just a good thing. Effectiveness is a good thing. It's good to ask questions of effectiveness. An idol is when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. So an idol is just, Tim Keller says, when you take a good thing, make it an ultimate thing. That would be his definition of an idol. So the idol of effectiveness says, I'm not going to serve where I can't be effective. I'm not going to serve unless I see results. But Jesus, the great teacher and son of God, washed others' feet told us to do the same. The idol of effectiveness says my value and identity comes from my effectiveness. But Jesus had not done anything in his three-year public ministry when he heard the words from his father, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And his identity was rooted in that, not in what he did. The idol of effectiveness tells us this really actually very tragic lie. It says a life spent in service for God is the same thing as a life with God. And maybe the most frightening passage in the whole of the Bible is Matthew 7 where Jesus is talking about on the judgment day many people will come to him saying Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? do many mighty works in your name, but Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. These are people who are absolutely convinced that they belong to Christ because they spent their lives on mission for him. And they've been very effective. They've preached in his name. They've fought evil in his name. They've performed miracles in his name, and yet he never knew them. That is, right there, that's the great danger of confusing effectiveness for God as intimacy with God. And maybe the most frightening word in that most frightening passage is many. That many people will come to him on that day completely convinced that they belong because of their effectiveness. Now, I read that, I don't know about you, but I just, I'm like, how is that possible? How is that possible? Like, how can they be doing these amazing things and not know Christ? How can they be so effective in ministry and yet rejected on the day of judgment? The idol of effectiveness has the power. It, it has so much power because it gets us focused on the wrong fruit. We become enamored with relevance and power and global impact. We become enamored with those who are changing the world. All of those things are certainly measures of effectiveness, but they are not measures of faithfulness. Now, in Numbers chapter 20, Moses had just led the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and the people began complaining to Moses. They began complaining to him about not having any water. And they are, the people are going to like riot against Moses. And so Moses just falls on his face before the Lord in the tabernacle and prays for a solution. And this is what God says to Moses. He says, speak to the rock, and it will bring forth water for the people and the animals. That's God's command to Moses, speak to the rock. It will bring forth water. But Moses, something happens, and Moses does not follow God's instructions after leaving God's presence. And rather than speaking to the rock as he had been commanded to do, Moses strikes the, strikes the rock twice with his staff, and guess what? Incredibly, a miracle occurs anyway. Water comes from the rock. The people are saved, and Moses was a hero. Now, just think about this scene from a human perspective. Think about it from the lens of the idol of effectiveness. Was Moses' ministry effective? Absolutely. He got water from the rock. Was Moses' ministry powerful? Absolutely. I mean, a miracle had occurred. You could ask, was Moses' ministry relevant? Absolutely. I mean, it is difficult to be more relevant than getting water to people who are thirsty in the desert. Super relevant. He, when you just look at, was he an effective leader? Absolutely, he got the people what they needed to reach their goal of the promised land. If Moses were here today, it would be like Moses would be writing books about like the three steps to draw water from a rock. In the Christian world, he would be webcasting and podcasting and on the circuit for speaking, and here's how we get water to the dehydrated people and churches of the world. But think about it from God's perspective. God was far less impressed. In fact, Moses Moses was punished severely for his disobedience. He was not allowed to enter the promised land. He died seeing it but not entering it. Now, why is that? It's because God does not judge based on effectiveness but rather faithfulness. And it's clear in numbers that God decided to perform a miracle despite Moses. Here's the truth of the matter. Every time God works, It's despite us. It's always despite us. Because here's the deal. God doesn't need you. God wants you. He didn't send Christ to die to recruit you to go change the world. He sent Christ to die to reconcile you to himself that the Holy Spirit might indwell you. Your ministry, when you're living, is giving, when you're spreading the ridiculous love of God. Your ministry is your presence. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which is why the questions of effectiveness, they're not wrong. They're just not primary. They're just not foremost. They're just not utmost. If we are to just like slay the idol of effectiveness, we have to look for the right fruit in our lives and in the lives of the churches and leaders and people we follow. The fruit is not relevance, it is not power. It is not global impact. According to the scriptures, the fruit of a life lived in communion with Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit. Before you and I are ever called to do something or go somewhere, our first and our highest calling is to someone. And when you're called to do something or go somewhere, it's not because a pastor or a ministry leader called you. I don't do the calling, Christ does the calling. It is he who calls us, and sustains us, and fulfills us, and works through us. So what this means, practically, for you and I, living is giving. How do we practically spread the ridiculous love of God? If you're a teacher, serving looks like teaching with great passion. If you're a leader... Serving looks like leading with all diligence and vision and care. If you are good administratively, serving looks like creating those structures and systems where people and things can flourish and be what they're meant to be. If you are a plumber, serving looks like making those pipes work as they are meant to work if you are an artist. Serving looks like creating beauty that our world desperately needs. Because our serving, our giving, do you know what it really just is? It's just our exhale. It's our exhale offered back to the one who gave us the inhale in the first place. And we remember as we serve that our worth is not in our effectiveness. That's already settled. Our worth is already secure in Christ. Your service is your exhale and it doesn't have to change the world to be offered back up to the creator who gave you your breath in the first place. So just as we close, I uh, share a quick story. Pastor and author John Ortberg uh, tells a story about being with his mentor and spiritual guide, Dallas Willard. And Dallas came to speak at his church. And uh, a lot of times after people give a talk in any setting, a sermon or teach a class or anything, a lot of times that teacher, you know, kind of wants to know afterwards, like, how did that go? Did that go okay? Am I okay? Did I do okay? So John Ortberg, Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard had just preached at his church, and they're walking out to the car in the parking lot together. Dallas is just like humming an old hymn after having given that sermon. And John Ortberg said, it was like watching a little kid let go of a helium balloon. Like that was my offering, that sermon. Sermon was his offering. It was the best he could do that day. He gave it, and then he just let it go and i love that image for each of us like that spreadsheet you just created that diaper you just changed that piece you just created that team meeting you just led that led that business you just started that talk you just gave whatever it may be you give it and then life in his kingdom would be you let it go and you leave the results to the one who gave you your breath in the first place. So if it would be meaningful to you this morning, when you come to communion, uh, you'll receive a balloon. And here's what I want you to do. Take this balloon back to your seat after communion and just hold it in your hand. You can look at it. And you can think about the work that you're doing in the world today. Maybe it's your volunteer work here with another nonprofit. Maybe it's the work you're doing vocationally. But I want you to think about whatever it is that you are giving in your life. Think about that work. And then what I want you to do is thank God for that work and just let it go. And as you do, you can pray, God, would you give me the kind of center and the kind of perspective, would you make my mind and my heart and my life the kind of place where I give to the best of my ability whatever you've given me, and then I leave the results to you, which means when people are critical of your work, it does not crush you. And when people praise your work, it does not overly inflate you because you were never doing it for those people first and foremost anyway. So we give and we leave the results to God. And this is life in his kingdom. Let's pray together as we close. Jesus, we thank you that you gave all. That we might be redeemed and restored in you. And God, we thank you that our value and worth is secure in you, not dependent on what we do or what others think of what we do. And we thank you for the sort of bold love that your spirit brings to our lives where we can love without fear of rejection. We can spread the ridiculous love of God without being fearful or afraid because our confidence is in you. Would you make it true in our lives today? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.